welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is another Scheme Month episode. We are going to be talking about two high defenses and why they are succeeding in today's NFL. And this week, extolling the virtues of butt towels, it's David Newman. Look, man, all I'm saying is it's damp down there. Even even in the best of situations, uh, it's not always the most pleasant place to stick your hands. I thought we were through with talking about center's butts or their buttholes or where you can put your thumb knuckle in center's buttholes. Uh, I thought all that left with Jim Harbaugh. And here we are. Jimmy Garoppolo, Alex Mack, butt sweat. It's not, it's not the headlines you want to see. I mean, honestly, it's better than, you know, player tears ACL. But hey. <laughs> Look, man, my my high school coach used to tell me, like, get your basically get the knuckle on your middle finger on the brown spot. You know, that's where you got to be. Oof. Was your coach Jim Harbaugh? Because that's I mean, like that's... honestly, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Jim Harbaugh. Uh, yeah. I think about it, so yeah. ask him to hold his hand out and if his pinky goes immediately like 90 degrees to the right. Start asking more questions. <laughs> uh, we have got some camp rundown stuff for you. We're going to talk about two high defenses and why they succeed in today's NFL and whether or not the Niners may finally break their cover three shackles. But before we do that, I want to give you an update on the Margarita Chronicles. If you're not familiar, <laughs> this is David's favorite topic. Shall I bring it up? Uh, if, if For those that are unaware, uh, I make margaritas. David's wife loves those margaritas, and she basically shits on David's margaritas. But this I'm sorry. Weekend, I'm, go- I'm going through a tunnel. I think I lost you. Bye. <laughs> This weekend, though, uh, David uh, and his wife and his daughter came over. We had a wonderful Saturday, and we I was usurped from the margarita throne. My wife made a margarita. We had a margarita off, uh, and my wife beat me. My wife is the, the reigning champ of margarita making. Uh, and so really what this means, David, for you, I think your takeaway is that you are just further away from the cup of glory. No, that's that's not mar- that's not at all what's fucking happening here. Um <laughs> what what is happening is that this is really the lesson that was actually learned is that my wife likes very sweet margaritas and on the scale of sweetness we have basically learned that it starts with your wife, then goes to you and then to me in terms of default sweetness of our margarita. Um, and so all it takes is like, you know, you just throw a little extra sweetener in there and we're all good to go. Yeah. All right. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, the, the other thing though, that you did was you did introduce running uh, into my life at like longer distances because you are doing the incredible, amazing, dumb thing of running a marathon. Um, I decided that, you know, the, the competitive human in me was going to take over. And so, you know, when I would see you run, I was like, fuck, I got to run. And so I went and I ran, uh, you know, another five miler. And now my Achilles hurts and I blame you. I blame you. I look, I'm not saying I know how Richard Sherman feels when it comes to leg injuries. You know, Kevin Durant and me are now in really the same space when it comes to really Achilles pain. I don't want to, I don't want to run again on this. I could completely blow it out and it would be your fault. So wow, I had nothing to do with this. All right. Um, I I'm taking a lot of heat here in the opening minutes of this podcast. And I don't fucking appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, running. I mean, look, I, I found running um, really, which is kind of funny um, because literally months before this, so I just kind of started running in in June ish, and and like 
I don't, when I say started running, like I've, I've been running in various degrees for most of my life, but, um, to, to really actually start trying to, to run consistently and, and potentially run longer distances was like in June and have kind of been easily ramping up. Um, but there was a moment, no joke, probably a couple months before that, where I was like, I don't know that I'm ever going to run again in my entire life. Like it just kind of sucks. Um, but you know, the speed to which the speed with which you went from running a stupid, I'm never going to do it to, yep. I just bought a top of the line running stroller was uh, now I got a fancy running watch too. Scott. Oh, you bought the watch. I got the watch came in today. Yep. Damn. Well done. Well done. My friend. Uh, yes, David has a fancy watch. Um, it has margarita recipes built in. Uh, and the, the speed at which you switched was a little bit like the speed that Kyle Shanahan switched from saying, I got to have two quarterbacks <laughs> that do the same thing to I'm going to go ahead and have special packages, Trey Lance, and no other quarterback can run these plays. Uh, that's just, it's not really a came story. It's just something I found super interesting because Kyle Shanahan confirmed that the 49ers, he confirmed what everyone knew. There will be special plays for Trey Lance that they will play, that they will use in season. I'm sure in the red zone or in short yardage or wherever he feels that they can be deployed. This this is not a secret to anyone other than maybe Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> we all knew it was going to happen. But it just reminded me of, of 2017, especially because we went back and looked at the 2017 Brian Hoyer option play. <laughs> so it got me thinking about 2017. And back then, Shanahan was saying, you know, you don't want a running quarterback and a non-running quarterback because... Well, if one guy goes down, then the offenses don't really match and you have to change a lot of things and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And now he is, he's singing a different tune. I, I don't think this is like, you know, haha, gotcha Shanahan or anything. It's just he's obviously evolved on this front. It's things that he thinks that he can actually fold in. He's not, I think, as rigid or as stodgy as he was before. And, and I think he is more about winning games than staying, you know, kind of offensive system pure, all of which I think are wonderful things. Yep. I do think, though, it's just kind of funny to point and, and laugh. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I think for all the reasons you mentioned, right? I think it, it's more that it's, uh, you know, a sign of his evolution and, and kind of the the change in perspective now being a head coach as opposed to being the offensive coordinator. And um, yeah, being, being focused on, you know what, like I, I, I'm not going to be tied to a specific type of player at this position like i'm gonna go with with the best player that i think i can it can find and and realize that i can win in some different ways right and i, and I think yeah when it comes to the special packages specifically is as, as long as garoppolo's in there uh, yeah obviously we we knew that was good it would have been very very dumb for that to not be the case to not find ways uh to get trey lance involved in in a few situations here and there other camp stories we're talking about really what's important and that is positions where players play and what snaps they're getting Jalen Moore seems to be sticking at tackle originally thought to be a guard but the Niners thought to themselves you know what we're going to go ahead and play with tackle maybe it was maybe injury prompted but now he seems to be sticking there and he seems to be beating out Sean Coleman who opted out for he was injured then opted out because of COVID and now is having some trouble kind of regaining his spot that I mean look Still early returns, fifth round draft pick. You know, your prior is that he is not going to succeed. But in terms of profile and upside, when we did his scouting report for the Patreon, we really, really liked what he put on tape. His foot speed is super quick. He's got a fantastic athletic profile. He's got that conversion from tight end that Joe Staley had coming into the league. And and if he sticks at tackle and the Niners are able to get another good, really low cost offensive lineman, man. Like they they are they are churning out 
these offensive linemen and finding them in really unique ways, like Dan Brunskill trading for Lakin Tomlinson. Sure, they've paid for the the left tackle, but they're they're doing some good work on the offensive line. Definitely, and and yeah, I think it uh it would be awesome if he sticks a tackle, right? I mean, he he definitely has a lot to work on, and and there's plenty of things that he needs to to sure up before we're talking about him being you know a viable option at that spot, but. Definitely, when you we look at the athleticism he has and, the, and just kind of the way he moves, um, absolutely need to try him and uh, tackle first and um, give him an opportunity to really make that transition and work on some of those things with hopefully what I'm going to assume is is some significantly better coaching than he got in college. And um, yeah, and, and see how that goes before you worry about changing him to a less valuable position. Now, two other players that haven't yet cracked a position where we thought they may be at this point in the season. One of them is Aaron Banks. He has not yet cracked the first team. Uh, And then Ambry Thomas also similarly can't crack the first team, uh, even though there are some injuries at corner. Emmanuel Mosley is back, though. He seems to be lighting up camp, which is good news. And and yeah, I'm I'm not yet concerned about Aaron Banks. Um, I know, David, you said in the preseason preview for Aaron Banks that if he wasn't the starting guard, that that would be a disappointment for him. Uh, You're still holding. I'm I'm sure you're still holding to that. But I still think that he's probably I think they're going to give him more chances later in the season as he kind of irons some things out. But apparently the reports are that he just, you know, hasn't looked as good as Compton or Brunskill, um, which for a second round pick. Yeah, kind of worrisome. Right. Yeah. So I think that's there. There's two parts to that, right? Like one, the the side of of disappointment is very much like in just a general like you're taking a guard in the second round, which is beyond you know uh, I I think some rare prospects. Like that's kind of where you're the top end of where you're going to take a guard, right? Like early in the second round is kind of where in most drafts a lot of the top guards in that class are going to go. And so yeah, you're you're expecting that player to come in and be a starter, right? Like that's why you're, you're taking him at that range. But when we watched Aaron Banks, right. And looked at the type of player he was like, it's not terribly surprising to me that he's not finding his way into the the first team yet. Right. And that he is um, struggling a little bit or that he's at least just not looking as good as, as they kind of expected him to. So yeah, I, I, it's not that I'll be surprised if he doesn't do it. And, and obviously I don't think that they'll give up on him, um, if that's not the case, but it, it is, yeah, I think like, um, disappointing from a use of draft pick standpoint, if you're, you're taking that guy and he's not good enough to beat out some of these guys that we know are like, you know, not great. Like they're, they, they added him for yeah. a reason, right. Hoping that he would take that job. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, it would absolutely is disappointing if you can't do that. I still think the team is going to find a way to put him in first team reps or in that starters role as we move through the preseason. I think the team was burned a little bit by the Adrian Colberts and the Keller Witherspoons of the world. And if you remember back in 2017, you had rookies, seventh round pick. They all of a sudden were going into the next year as the presumed starters. There was no challenge. There was no fight. And they didn't perform, I think, how the team wanted. And, And the team, I think, now is averse to handing some of these starting spots or assumed starting spots to rookies. I think they really do make them work. I think in this case, it's probably a combination of both. I think it's a combination of Aaron Banks probably still trying to master a playbook and a league that is not the same as college. And right now, vets are outplaying him. And the team likely isn't just going to anoint him just to anoint him. 
but I do think they'll give him more opportunities a little bit later. And I mean, it's really going to be important to watch him in the preseason. And that's going to be more of a tell than what you get in camp. Um, and he's someone that I'm certainly going to be trying to watch on the TV tape, especially because game pass is fucked. Uh, and so who knows if we're going to get all 22. Uh, and so basically it's just going to be linemen and, uh, you know, like one half of quarterback play, which I know is going to be your favorite preseason in the whole wide world, David. So um, Ambry Thomas, though, um, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. I think third round pick, but you've already got two unquestioned starters. And so I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens with Ambry. The one note that I thought was interesting that came out of, of camp reports recently was that his strength is being questioned. And normally when a coach goes on record and talks about something like that, I think it's to needle the player um, intentionally. And so there probably is something to the the fact that he is not as strong as maybe the, the, the coaches think he should be or could be, which is in and of itself interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess, right. I mean, if that's kind of the, the gist of it, yeah. Then that they're, you know, really concerned about it. The the kind of the takeaway I had from that that quote from Unlin was more of like a a general like most guys coming from college kind of struggle. Like it's it's a thing that everybody has to make, right? A transition that everybody has to make, like in terms of improving their strength. And he's working on that was was kind of the gist that I got. Which yeah, and um, you know, he's he's not somebody that's necessarily coming in where you're expecting him to start right away. Uh, unless you are dealing with injuries, right? Like it's important for him to come along because they have not been able to keep everybody in the secondary healthy, right? And and they just haven't had a lot of depth at that position. And so um, you you need guys. You know that you're you're likely at some point in the season going to have to turn to some of these backup players. And, and and so yeah, you're hoping he's ready to go then. But it not not a surprise that you know he's not ready for that just yet. Yeah, then uh, other than that, the big news is all about the safeties because Jaquaski Tart apparently has a toe that has fallen off. Uh, that is just my non-expert. The whole toe, yeah, all the way to the base knuckle. Metatarsals, I think, is what they're called. I don't know. I just made that word up. Um, that's not true. I know it's a real word, but I have no idea what part of the foot that is. Wow, which toe uh, are we talking about here? I, I don't know. All I know is that the Niners signed a guy, signed him for one year, gave him money, and then, oh, yeah, he's had this toe injury since November, and it's not better, and he's not going to be around for a while. That seems interesting and, in and of itself, weird. But because of that, the Niners brought in a parade of safeties and signed one, which we'll get to in a second. But things have been moving so quickly on the safety front that I'm over here thinking, okay, Jaquaski tart toe injury is going to be is going to have him out for a while. It's Tony Jefferson season, baby. I think Tony Jefferson was a sneakily good signing, especially if he's recovered from his ACL. I'm like, okay, like this is a good veteran presence that literally the instant I tweet that out, David Lombardi replies and he's like, yeah, he's got a hamstring and groin issue that like literally in the press conference Shanahan just mentioned. So he's out too. And now Tavon Wilson is the safety. Like I, I can't get tweets out fast enough ahead of the injuries of these safeties. Uh, so what was I saying about um, secondary players not staying healthy and, and on the field? Um, yeah, not great. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's not a good situation, um, and, and it's unfortunate that they have to deal with it. You know, I mean, obviously you want Tart out there. Um, I, I hope that he 
actually has all 10 of his toes. I'm really curious as to what's going on there. Um, I was joking about the toe falling off. It didn't actually fall off. It's just, it's probably like turf death okay. or something. Okay. <laughs> just making sure, you know, I was concerned which, which about can be his very painful. digits. So I will know? say that because of the David induced increase in running miles that I have recently encountered, in addition to my Achilles feeling like it's Kevin Durant's, uh, my toe has also begun to hurt as well. I'm sure there's something going on with my right foot at this point, and it's all really your fault. But I you mean, know, it I sounds it. like someone needs to work on their running form. Um, I get it. I I'm, yeah, I'm, dude. I'm not, all I'm saying is, look, I'm not a runner. Rower, uh, I am perhaps maybe for half an hour. Um, runner, maybe you know for like 22 minutes. You know, just don't make me go the full hour. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, slow down. Um, yeah. Like some of these safeties, apparently. Um, yeah. Maybe they need to slow down a little bit, too. Yeah. Old is new again, though, because HaHa ha Clinton Dix is officially a 49er. And, man, this is its the day, really, we've been waiting for since 2019. <laughs> I mean, arguably, it's the day we've been waiting for since we created the Johnson Rule for the Better Rivals drinking game. The, the Johnson Rule, if you're unfamiliar, is where you drink whenever the announcers on the broadcast say something dirty that, that just isn't. Uh, we've had a string of Johnsons play along the defense, and now we also have a Dix. I feel like this has been in the making for quite a while, and and he's officially here. I say that this has been in the making since 2019 because if you zoom back to 2019, he actually made our free agent list of players we thought the 49ers should target way back in 2019. This was back on the episode where we read Garrigiam's obituary. I just, I had to get one more in, uh, especially since we didn't sign Sendejo, um, cause I would have replaced Garriguiam with Sendejo Pendejo, but you know, you can only win. You can't win them all. You can't win them all. Um, and, and in 2019, we thought that he could be a fit going into 2019. Haha Clinton Dix had at least six combined pass breakups and interceptions in each of the past three seasons. And so he was a player that was kind of a ball hawk. He was on the up and up and we thought he could be had for a reasonable salary ends up signing in Chicago in 2019 and has another good season, goes to Dallas, and then in Dallas, he's released five months after he's signed and doesn't play in the league in 2020. And now the Niners may be getting some of that old safety discount. And it just seems like there's a lot of kind of like okay safeties that are out there for cheap that can fill Jaquaski Tart's role at this point. Yeah, I mean, obviously remains to be seen how how well they'll fill the role. I mean, with with Clinton Dix, I think is the most interesting one of the guys that they've kind of brought in this offseason just because, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what the story was last season um, because it, it wasn't like he showed, um, you know, a, a significant drop in play. I feel like when he's been out there, he's largely been the same player right which is a, a a not necessarily great like i would never call him you know at any point in his career like one of the best safeties in the league but he's been uh, a very kind of solid presence um you know obviously mostly at green bay but then even when he you know he got traded to washington that's for that like what half season or whatever it was um and was good and like even as i was as i was looking up stuff on uh him trying to figure out if there was any information um as, as to what like was going on i found an article by solomon wilcox on on pff about the best safety tandems entering last season and it fifth on the list was still Clinton Dix and Xavier Woods for the Cowboys, right? And, and so, yeah, I think like the the idea that he suddenly 
without injury or, or anything like that, like was cut and then couldn't latch onto a team is, is I think kind of a bizarre twist in his career, but it, from the 49ers perspective, right? I think this is a, an excellent signing for this point. I mean, the, the likelihood that you're going to find a player um, who could potentially come in and be like a quality starter at this point in the season, right? At this point in the off season um, is, is pretty low, I'd say like, and, and so being able to bring him yeah. in at, uh, on a cheap deal, you know, that's probably what league minimum or something like that. And, uh, and, and have him available, I think is a very low risk, high reward type of signing that is, is fantastic. In 2019, Haha Clinton Dix had a top five man coverage grade and a zone coverage grade that was just better than Jaquaski Tart. These are PFF coverage grades. So it, when Jaquaski Tart was an integral part of the Niners Super Bowl defense, you had Haha Clinton Dix who was playing better football at that same time. And Clinton Dix is younger than Jaquaski Tart, not by a lot, but still younger. And outside of not knowing what, you know, potential injury may have kept him out, if any, you know, this past year, he's played a th- over a thousand snaps every single year of his career. Hasn't missed a snap, hasn't missed a game. In 2019, Jaquaski Tart missed games when he was playing for a Super Bowl defense. He only played in like 12 games. And Haha Clinton Dix is out here, you know, putting up over a thousand snaps. So he's more durable. He is just as good and or played better at his peak, and he's younger. Uh, this is, you know, look, I'm not going to go ahead and stamp it, but it's <laughs> it's more promising of a signing than, I think you said it exactly, David, more promising than you typically get at this point of the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, he absolutely is going to be someone uh, that we'll have eyes on, you know, throughout the preseason and just kind of seeing what he looks like and and if it looks like he's the same player that we saw last time he was on the field because if if that's the case then yeah i mean that's uh, a very big win for this defense all right let's get to the scheme portion of the episode and this week we are going to talk about two high defenses why the philosophy makes sense how those defenses can still win against the run and whether or not the niners are going to finally break out of their cover three shackles because the Niners have been adding more varied defensive coverage to, coverages to their defense. When Salah started in 2017 under the, the Lynchahan regime, it was very much a noted Seattle-style cover three, and he still maybe carries some of that moniker to this day. But over the course of especially the last two or three years, the Niners have added a ton more cover four, a ton more cover six, and really it's been part of a larger trend of defenses in the NFL playing a little bit more too high. And, and so we thought we'd take just a moment to talk about why that's happening and whether the Niners are going to continue that strategy. So, David, let's first talk about why the philosophy makes sense and, and why teams are really beginning to prioritize the pass because that's where the NFL really is going and has been for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's it, right? Pass is king. And, and I think while it's been... Uh, obviously trending that direction for a very long time. I mean, it, the the rate of which teams are passing the ball is is gone up um, for been going up for decades, right? But I think we're we're really seeing um, teams, you know, a lot more teams focus on that and and know that they have to be able to win through the air, um, and and they also know that it's just more efficient, right? It's more effective than the run game, and so if you have 
you know, a decent quarterback or, you know, you're one of these teams that has a good offensive play caller and you can create some opportunities there. Like it, it's just better for your offense to be able to throw the ball. And so um, defenses like they typically do are, are the ones that kind of have to react to whatever offenses are doing. And, and we're seeing them finally start to break away a little bit from priority number one being that we have to stop the run, right? That that would always be kind of the thing. If you listen to defensive coordinators talk, um, it, it was always, we have to stop the run, right? That's priority number one and, and everything else kind of falls into place from there. And, and so we're seeing a little bit of a shift to like now, okay, like, look, we, maybe we need to ignore the run a little bit and, and focus on that pass, right? And so you're taking that safety out of the box, you're putting them back deeper and, and you're getting into coverages that are better equipped to handle what offenses are throwing at you right now. Now you said it, defensive coordinators are still going to be run first, right? You're going to play the run. You're going to, you're going to play fast and play aggressive. This is the, the, the talk <laughs> track of every new defensive coordinator that gets a job and, and single high still reigns supreme. And it's because defensive coordinators want to get an eighth man in the box to stop the run. But, offenses are now beginning to dictate the numbers that they are going to see in the box and it's going to allow them to either run or pass based on what they see. I think Steve Starkeesian had a really interesting uh, little, he had a, actually coach, a coach's clinic for the Nike's coaches clinic that you can go on YouTube and watch. And he talks a lot about how Alabama structures their play calls and some concepts that are really neat. But he talks about his general philosophy about running or passing. And he talks a lot about how defenses are going to start to play with an eighth man in the box. And that's great. You're going to start to hit the RPOs with that single high safety and you're going to hit the pass and hit the pass and hit the pass until they take that safety out of the underneath area and now you can run the ball. And and so really it is at, at its core, it's super simple. It's a numbers game. The offense is trying to dictate what the defense does so they can get a numbers advantage in what it is they're trying to do. And because defensive coordinators, I think, still persist on, on going single high first and putting that eighth man in the box, you start to see and have seen the rise of a particular route in offenses, and that is the crossing route. When you look at the frequency of crossing routes from 2012 on, it's basically, I mean, in football terms, effectively exploded. It's gone from like what looks like three or four percent around 2012, all the way up to like 12 percent of the routes targeted over 10 yards are just crossing routes. And it's because crossing routes specifically target single high defenses. Right. I, I mean, they're just such a problem for uh, cover three teams, especially. Right. I mean, I think crossing routes are uh, against any type of man coverage. Right. Are always going to be effective, especially if the guy running the crossing route has some speed to them. Um, and they're just a difficult route to cover for for most defenders. But um, especially when you get into the realm of zone defenses, right. And, and cover three being kind of that, um, base defense that we've seen so many teams go to as a result of, of what Seattle was doing. Uh, it, it's a really tough route to cover unless you have somebody, uh, at cause it, so I guess, yeah, if we back up for just a second, right. And, and talk about that basic cover three, look and a lot of times it's a linebacker 
that is the player that's responsible for covering that crossing route, right? And so if you're suddenly putting, you know, we're seeing more and more offenses put some of their best players in the slot, right? It, it's not a uh, just a tiny Wes Welker type that, that you've seen um, kind of historically, right? It's it's all sorts of different players that are lining up in the slot. And if suddenly Tyree Kill is there, right, and you've got that kind of speed and, and he's running this deep over route, uh, it's just a problem for that linebacker. Like he's just not going to be able to do it, right, and, and be able to cover that route and get back into the space that he needs to. And so uh, it's just very effective there. And then that even goes double once you start adding in play action, right? You think about everything that Shanahan and McVeigh and everything that they're trying to do, and, and you're now pulling up those defenders uh, at the linebacker level, pulling them up to the line of scrimmage, and you're opening that space in the middle of the field for these crossing routes. And so, um, yeah, it's just with, with the things that we're seeing offenses do, it, it became very difficult for defenses to continue to ask that linebacker to get back in coverage and, and cover this type of route. It was just too tough. And that, that's such an important point. The idea that the, the because of the single high structure, you now have a linebacker covering what may be the fastest receiver on the field, but then you add on to that a concept where an offensive coordinator or a play caller is saying, not only am I going to put my best receiver into your coverage responsibility, but I'm also going to hit you with play action. And because you are a run-first defender who then also has to react to Tyreek Hill running this over route, I'm going to make it even more difficult for you to succeed in covering this route. It's an it's honestly amazing that linebackers have even survived at this point. I don't understand. <laughs> and it's mostly because when you think of those cover three teams, it's Bobby Wagner. Right? It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, right. like maybe a Hall of Fame linebacker is probably going to be okay at this, right? It's it's Luke Keekley. You know, yep. it's it's Fred Warner for the 49ers. That's how they've been able to get by with doing that. Um, and I'm glad that those players exist. I'm glad one of them is on the 49ers, but not every defense has that linebacker. Not every defense has those players. And when you don't, now you have to think to yourself, okay, with the rise of this, I mean, it seems like honestly the Shanahan offense and, and offense off the Shanahan tree is everywhere. Yeah. Um, that, that is the thing. I mean, even like Cincinnati, you know, I got Shane Waldron in Seattle. Uh, you've got, of course, McVay, you've got Shanahan, um, you've got, uh, the Cleveland, Texans, yeah, yeah you've got Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, it seems that the Vikings, it, it is, yeah, it is everywhere now. And, and so that crossing route, that play action is going to put stress on linebackers. How do you react to that? Well, you don't make it the linebackers responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and teams have been uh, kind of slowly trying to figure things out, right? At, at first it was, okay, how do we adjust within our cover three to, to allow us to better cover this type of thing. And then, you know, finally we're now getting to like, okay, let's just get a safety back there and, and get another primarily past defender uh, in a spot that, that can potentially cover these types of routes, right. And, and, and kind of set them up for success more. And so that's where you get into a lot of the stuff that the 49ers have started to do, which is, um, you know, getting into quarters. And, and I think the way that a lot of these teams play it, the way the 49ers have played it, right. Um, it is, is very similar in a lot of ways to what they've been trying to do from a cover three standpoint. And so I think that's why it kind of fits into their system. They're just kind of like, you know, adjusting where guys are at pre-snap, but it, you're doing a lot of similar things overall. So in terms of the individual players' roles and responsibilities, 
um, you know, it's not always a, a huge change for them. Right. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I think we're just now getting to a spot where, where teams are accepting that these are the things, you know, if, if teams are going to hit us with this play action, right, we need to be a little bit less eager to get up in that run game and, and make that stop for two or three yards. And we need to make sure that we're preventing this crossing route. That's going to go for 20 plus, you know, we'll, we'll give up an extra couple yards and rally to the ball in the run game. And, and maybe now we're giving up four or five on that play as opposed to giving up this, this big chunk yardage play through the air. Now, a lot of defensive coordinators, or maybe not a lot of defensive coordinators, that's not true. There are some defensive coordinators that have adopted that strategy more. I think Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio, Staley is off the Fangio tree, are going to be more in that pre-snap too high look. But teams and defensive coordinators don't want to end up like the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. So the question still remains, how do teams stop the run if they're going to give you more too high defenses or even more too high looks? Because oftentimes what you'll see is, two high looks pre-snap that just rotate into a single high if they end up like reading run, right? You're going to get a safety with run responsibility. And so it ends up looking a lot like an eight-man box after the snap once they read what's happening on the field. But how do you stop the run when you are a pass-first defense or if you have a pass-first philosophy? So I I think, you know, depending on... if, If we kind of assume with two high that most of these teams are going to be largely basing out of quarters, right? That's going to be kind of the dominant... Um, coverage type, and then you have other things that you can work off of from there. But uh, with, with quarters, right, that's kind of one of the things that the teams like in college so much because this is by far the most dominant look that you're going to see from college defenses, and and it's because those safeties still do have some run responsibility, right? So they're going to get up into the run game eventually, right? It's not They're not going to get there likely as quick as a linebacker that's playing five yards deep when they're playing 10 yards deep, right? So you're, you're giving up a little bit there, but they are at least reading and reacting to the run. Whereas if you think of, um, you know, in, in say like cover two, right? Or that deep middle of the field safety in cover three, those guys are pass first defenders. Like they're, they're immediate steps after the snap are going to be going backwards to make sure they get to their pass responsibility first. And and it's only kind of a late rally to the run once it's absolutely been declared sort of thing. And so with quarters, you kind of get, you know, that, that kind of middle ground there, right? You're not getting the same sort of great deep coverage help that you're going to get when you have those pass first defenders back there, but you're at least still getting a guy that's coming from more depth um, and and is going to be able to be in better position to react when it is play action and find some of these crossing routes and get in a spot to take it away. But he is also paying attention to the run. And so he can get there a little bit late too, right? So you, you have some things like that. And then there's some other things that you can do from from the front perspective, right? Um, you can get guys, uh, maybe you're going to have a, one, one defender or two along the defensive line to gap. Maybe you're going to run more stunts and games to try to steal some gaps back. Um, you know, there, there's different things that you can do with the guys who are left up front um, to, to try to, you know, help you be a bit more effective. Having a safety in the run fit and having a safety play from depth is kind of the philosophy of this type of defense really incarnate because effectively what you're saying is I'm going to have a safety that that is going to be pass first run second and that means that yeah I may give up an extra yard or two on a run because my safety is going to be a little late in filling their their run responsibility but that's okay I'd much rather give up a yard or two on a run than I would give up five to ten yards on a pass or even more on an explosive because 
I don't have someone to cover that crossing route or I've got, you know, a linebacker covering that crossing route. And so that is that is kind of a key philosophical difference. But, you know, you're, you're playing defense, you're defensive coordinator. You don't want to just give things up. And so David talks about stealing back gaps. And one of the ways, you know, the most common ways and the most more, more understood ways is two gapping players. But the, the thing that we've talked about before and the thing that is happening more and more is you're seeing a tight front or a mint front. And that's basically a front where the defensive line is basically covering up the guard, the guard and the tackle um, and covering up as many interior gaps as possible to make the running lanes muddy. Like they're not, they're there really to just create chaos because if you can make the running back stop, pause, have to cut back, have to move, you give your safety time. You give them time to come down and fill the hole. You give them time to come down to the run fit. And so that kind of, you know, maybe some people call it bare front, some call it, you know, double eagle or whatever you, you want to call it. Ultimately, you've got a four eye zero and a four eye where you're playing both guards and the center so that you're just clogging things up eliminating that B-gap bubble, and all of a sudden, you're just giving your secondary players time to come in in waves, and that rallying style is what still gives you some effectiveness in the run game, even if it looks like initially you're playing with a light box. Yeah, essentially, if you can kind of clog up the middle, right? So if you can get these three bigger defensive linemen um, that are there that are kind of inside the tackles, right? They're going to be covering up those three interior offensive linemen. You get a linebacker behind that. And, and you can kind of force things to where, like, if they are going to try to hit it inside with the run and, and get more downhill, well, you've got guys in position to, to be able to handle that stuff, right? And so you're, you're kind of hopefully forcing most of your runs to bounce outside. And that once, once the back, you know, starts moving laterally and he's not moving downhill anymore, well, now I've got time for my pursuit to get there. So now my linebackers um, can can run to the ball. My safeties can come down and run to the ball. And, and so I can, you know, a lot of times get, uh, you know, to that run and, and not really be too much worse off. I think the, the thing that you see really with that style of defense that I think is going to be, it, it's going to make it take a little bit longer for that to really latch on on a larger scale at the NFL level is, is you are kind of giving up your pure pass rusher type players, right? Your, your Nick Bosa's don't have as great of a role in this defense. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and have Nick Bosa two gap yeah. on a guard, <laughs> right? You want, when, when you, when you have a, an elite pass rusher like that, right? You want to let him um, do his thing, right? You want to get him out on the edge. You want to get him in space and, and you want to kind of allow him to get after the quarterback and, that's not going to allow you as easily to be able to, uh, you know, kind of clog that middle, right? Because he's out on the edge. So, so at that point, you're either treating him more like a, a three, four outside linebacker, right? If you think to more kind of old school base defense there where, where he's going to maybe drop into coverage too, but that also isn't a great use. Of, but you, you, if you're going to play that style, right, where you're going to put three defensive linemen on the inside and cover up those interior offensive linemen, um, he's going to have to be involved at least some of the time, um, in, in coverage, which, you know, also isn't a great use for it. So it, NFL teams very much still love there. We want to go get elite pass rushers. And I don't think there's many teams, um, that would be super willing to, to kind of branch away from that. But I think if you're a team, you know, obviously that found yourself without 
one of those great pass rushers. Um, it, it's something you need to look into because, yeah, I mean, at that point, you're saying that, okay, we want to focus on on kind of clogging up these inside runs. We're going to play more too high stuff and, and make us more sound in coverage against the pass and just accept that, uh, you know, on a lot of plays, we're not going to be able to rush the passer super well. Or when we do, we can start to mix in, you know, our blitz packages and that's we're, we're going to scheme up pressure and and do it that way as opposed to having you know an elite guy that we can count on to to just get around the edge or alternatively what the rams did and this is i think why their three effectively three down linemen front work so well is because one of those down linemen was aaron donald it's aaron donald right yeah that and, helps. and yes he he can two gap he can two gap real well and he can also rush the passer really well. Shit, some plays it interior. looks like he's got three, four gaps, right? You know, he's just uh, he's back there. <laughs> I know. So that like that's one of the things that made that defense so good, and it's what allowed them to play with more two safety looks and more two high looks, especially pre-snap. I mean, the 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 Staley defense and the Fancho defenses were by far league leaders in pre-snap two high looks, and it's because in large part, I mean, for for Fangio, I think it was a more a philosophical thing, but for Staley. It was both philosophical, but also personnel. He had someone where he could be like, yeah, you cover three gaps and we're going to have these guys cover someone else. I mean, the fan, you know, for for 49ers fans, thinking back to those Fangio defenses, I think is a is a great example of of how they made it work. Right. Like, yeah, yeah they basically had uh, you have Justin Smith. You've got Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, you know, down there in in your front. And it doesn't matter that you've only got six guys down there now. Right. Like because. Yeah every single one of them is going to win their individual matchup on the majority of plays. And so, yeah, if, if you're in a fortunate situation to have kind of some, you know, elite game changing players up there in your front, you know, it opens up uh, certainly a lot of things, you know, because you don't have to uh, commit as many players down in the box and you have a little bit more freedom to, to kind of, okay, let me get my back seven, you know, really out there and back into coverage um, and, and kind of approach things from that perspective. But, you know, obviously not everybody's got an, an Aaron Donald. Yeah. And what was the, uh, the, the record for 49ers not allowing a rushing TD was like 17 or 19 games, oh, man, like was, span two seasons. Yeah. It was but it was right. It, it was a right in the meat of that where they just did not allow a rushing touchdown. Um, and, and they didn't habitually allow hundred yard rushers, but they still played with really a coverage first mentality. And Fangio still continues to play a coverage first mentality. I think that he, Probably Staley is the McVeigh, right, um, of, of defenses right now. But Fangio is is maybe the Shanahan to Staley's McVeigh, right, in that he probably doesn't get enough credit for the things that Staley is doing because he, I mean, Staley is very open in saying that yeah, he studied Fangio, he worked for Fangio, that that philosophy and strategy he really got from Fangio, and Fangio's had great defenses wherever he's gone, uh, and Niners and Niners fans know that specifically. Um, so, so yeah, look, all I'm saying is give Fangio his due. He deserves, he deserves <laughs> some more. He deserves some more. Definitely. Um, so, so what are the 49ers going to do then? I mean, you're, you're talking about, uh, we're talking about a defensive structure that is not really antithetical, but really a departure, a step farther than where the Niners came from. I mean, Robert Sala and, and Shanahan wanted a base single high defense. And especially early on in, in Shanahan's tenure, they were 75% single high. And, and now they're mixing things up. They're more varied. They've got three different coverages uh, that they'd love to play, four, six, and whatever you know single high flavor they want to play. Um, but now you've got a new defensive coordinator. You've got you know James Betcher. You've got these safeties that maybe are a bit more versatile. You've got trends in the NFL that are pulling them more towards two high looks. 
are we going to see a 49ers defense that is going to trend more pass first and, and run second? I mean, you would hope so, right? I, I think obviously it's a it's a big unknown. And it would be, you know, dumb of us to say that we we know exactly what we're going to see from D'Amico Ryan's when he's never been a coordinator or a play caller on that side of the ball before. And and so yeah, we're we're kind of going into the dark here a little bit. But you would assume that that they're going to hold kind of that you know base structure of what's worked for them. Um, and so I don't think we're going to see one way or another a huge departure from what we got used to with Robert Sala. But whether the trend continues into more of the too high stuff like Sala was going with, or whether you know they kind of settle back into um, just kind of that more comfortable single high type of of defense. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can say, but absolutely. I think it makes sense for them to continue going with that. Right. We saw them have a lot of success with it. I think it, it fits their safeties a lot better. I mean, they don't, you know, there's no Earl Thomas on, on the back end of this defense, right? There's no single high safety that, that really is going to shine in that type of role and be the type of game changer that you really need there. If you're going to, to sacrifice a guy and get an, a, another defender down in the box. And so, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. And and even when you look at, I mean, I don't think it would be that unheard of, right? If you think of John Lynch, I mean, in, in his defenses with the Bucks, right? Those are cover two teams. Those are, and he very much believes in building the front, right? And, and they have obviously some great players on the front right now. And so, you know, when, when you look at what they, they've got on the defensive line, you look at the players that they've got, like Fred Warner now, um, that's going to be there hopefully for a long time. And, and, and they've got players up front um, that can hopefully really dominate that element of the game. And, and, and you can feel like you don't have to get the extra guys up there in the box. And, and now, if, especially if you're not going to, you know, spend the high end resources on those back end players, I think you need to give them every advantage schematically that you potentially can and, and going with more too high stuff and, and going with more of a pass first structure um, uh, on that side of things, I think would make a lot of sense for them. Well, I'm a guy who kind of wants it all. And so I don't know that they should necessarily go like full pass first, but I do think that they should absolutely stay versatile and and stay with some of the same themes that they had in 2020 and even 2019. And I think really their division kind of commands it because you've got Seattle, you've got the Rams. Seattle's new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, it was the Rams passing coordinator. He is going to be uh, from the Shanahan tree. And when you think about that and you think about the Rams obviously being off the Shanahan tree, you've got play action teams that like to pass, but they also like to run. Right. So you're probably going to play a mix of maybe a split safety and single high with those teams. But you've got Arizona who loves to, you know, kind of spread them out and have a little bit more air raid and have DeAndre Hopkins over on one side and play with three, four wide receivers. You probably need more split safety coverages with them. You're going to need more uh, to, to pay more attention to that B gap bubble and that conflict defender. And, and so you're going to need to be able to play a little bit of both if you're going to succeed in the Niners division. And over the last couple of years, I think they have been successful against their division rivals. They've uh, Arizona probably gave them the most trouble last year. And, and Seattle, when the Niners are good, I think uh, they're able to go kind of blow for blow with them. It, it's kind of hard to you know, have Nick Mullins go against Russell Wilson and expect that the Niners are going to win. But I think overall, the Niners have proven that they can handle their division by being versatile. 
And so I think they should still remain in that sense. I don't think they should go back to like super base or, or kind of skewing one way or the other. Um, so, so if I'm D'Amico Ryans, I'm going to say, yes, like kind of keep doing what you're doing um, and maybe index a little farther into the too high stuff, but don't go full blown into trying to stop the run with, you know, just kind of the, the six or seven defenders that you've got. Yeah, totally. And and the NFL's not in a place where I think, you know, yet where it makes sense to to just fully do that and you're going to sit there and play, you know, two high defenses on on 80-90% of the snaps or something like that, right? Like of course you always want to, you know, match up with with the offenses that you're going against. And and no question when you go against teams that are running uh, a, a offensive system similar to what the 49ers are doing, or you go against teams that don't have a very good quarterback, it, it's going to make sense in those games, um, you know, to probably go more single high and get more guys in the box because you can, you can sell out a little bit more against the run because, you know, you don't have to worry about the quarterback burning you on the back end as much, or, or, you know, at least that those teams in the cases of, you know, like Seattle and, and the Rams, right. Are going to be, largely committed to the run and they're going to continue to do that type of thing because that's what they want to do offensively um and, and so you can kind of play into their tendencies a little bit right and, and focus it on a little bit more but as a, a general trend yeah i think you you want to see it more balanced than it's been right and, and continue going that direction and, and staying kind of i think where they were at last season you know some somewhere in there uh i think depending on the opponent is is a good look for them and so I think this is where, you know, kind of bringing it full circle to the the safeties they've signed. You know, I, I do think this is where someone like HaHa Clinton-Dix could be a, a sneakily good signing. And this is why we wanted Jaquaski Tart to resign is because we thought that he offered a good blend of both kind of in the box play, but also enough coverage skill that he would be a valuable resigning for the 49ers. People will often say like, you know, Malik Hooker and, and players like that. But Malik Hooker is a single high safety if he can even put together enough ligaments and bones to play for a single season. He is a single high safety. You don't want him playing in the box. That That's not where his game is. And, and the Niners, if they're going to lean more towards that kind of versatile safety, I think Clinton Dix fits that role. I think Tony Jefferson fits that role. I think, you know, Tavon Wilson, I don't know what role he fills. He's the older guy. Not going to lie. Haven't done a ton of research on that dude. Um, but but I think if you're talking about Jefferson and Ha Clinton Dix, they are more kind of like rotate safeties. Like I'm going to go down in the box. I'm going to play, you know, deep. It just depends on, on what the, the snap gives me. And, and that kind of defense does hopefully give you a bit more versatility. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely my preference for, you know, secondary players now. Like you want guys that can do multiple things, right? And, and that can fill multiple roles, not only because I think even, even when everybody's healthy, I think there there's just some benefit to that, right? Like b- being able to, um, you know, rotate your safeties a little bit more and, and be able to have them kind of fill similar roles so you're not stuck with one guy always down in the box and um, one guy always deep or something like that, right? You you have guys that can do a little bit of both. Um, but then also it, it's going to help you when those injuries inevitably hit, right? If guys can fill multiple spots, you can shuffle things around to kind of still get your best 11 out there, right? And, and still fill those holes well. Whereas if you have, you know, even if you, you were fortunate enough to have an Earl Thomas type player at that free safety, 
finding somebody who can come in and you know fill in for him even remotely well if he gets hurt is is going to be very difficult right and so i think being able to go with guys who have some more versatility um even if they're not going to be you know quite as is good you know maybe on on that deep coverage end um as as somebody like thomas is going to be right like I, I think there's more balance there where they can match up with a tight end on these crossing routes they can they can play a little bit more one-on-one coverage and and do some of that stuff that they need to but they have enough there to be able to come in and make tackles in the run game as well right so having that sort of versatility i think is just going to pay off more for for what you need i think from those coverage defenders now yeah, I'm still interested to see what the pressure packages or man coverage tendencies look like from this defense, because I do think that James Betcher, both in terms of personnel and in terms of style, like the only things we've been able to suss out from D'Amico Ryans is that he said he's going to be more aggressive. But OK, so does every defensive coordinator. Sure. Um, but James Betcher is known for his blitzing and for their their kind of man schemes behind it. And the, I don't know, just uh, trying to read between the tea leaves in terms of beat reporters. I do think that like that aggression does translate into a bit more blitzing and a bit more that type of thing, which I think will be interesting because then you're not really playing with two, you're, you're prioritizing pass, so to speak, but not by playing too high safety, but by being more like the Ravens and putting more resources in the pass rush, um, which is just a different way of skinning that cat. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. I did see, and and I don't know, this may have been out for for a long time, and I'm just way way late on it. Would not be surprising, but I I saw for the first time um, reading through. I think it was either uh, Barrows or Lombardi article on the Athletic, um, one of their camp reports, and they mentioned specifically with Betcher being a run game coordinator on yeah. there, which I it was the first time I had seen that, and I thought was interesting because yeah, that's kind of the lens that we've talked about better through mostly is is kind of what will he do and and add um in terms of you know pass coverage and specifically the the blitzes and pressure packages that they have and so yeah it's it'll just be i guess interesting to see how much of a hand he even has on on that side of thing is if he's going to be focusing more on on the run game side of things but yeah i i think once you get into pressure right if that's kind of the the direction that they go you you know, you're going to have to play single high. Once you start removing guys um, from the equation, from your coverage standpoint, like you have to kind of spread things out a little bit more and and you have to get guys into spots um, that aren't always going to be necessarily like the most ideal if you were just designing things from a coverage first perspective, right? If you're like, okay, what's if if I'm going to cover every area of the field, where am I going to stick these guys? Once you start pulling some of those guys away and sending them after the passer, right? You kind of have to compromise in some areas. And so you're going to get a lot more of the fire zone stuff and, and different, you know, match things that the teams are doing, um, with, with their blitz packages. But yeah, uh, it, it would be, I, and I would expect them to do that. The thing that they have done, you know, with Sala is, is essentially be a lot more aggressive on third downs. Right. And so I think yep. there's a spot where you play, you know, first and second down, maybe you start to to swing that pendulum a little bit further toward the two high stuff and you see more of those looks on on those early downs. And then, yeah, maybe you see it on third down, maybe you go into pressure packages, whatever you're going to do. Well, the research department came back and they said that the 2011 Niners had the fewest touchdowns allowed in the NFL since 1978. They only allowed three rushing touchdowns and I don't know when the first rushing touchdown was scored on them, but I do know that in late December or early December, December 11th ish, 
going into their matchup against Seattle, they did not allow, they had not allowed a rushing touchdown all season. And they went uh 30 whatever games. Uh it was the most consecutive games not allowing a hundred yard rusher. It was 36 games. And that was a streak that went from 2009 to 2011. Um, so can't pin the 2009 era 100 yard rushers <laughs> on Fangio, but, but I do think that only three rushing touchdowns in a season, uh, stopping the run whilst being effective and not committing a bunch of resources up front can definitely put on Fangio. So, yeah, I mean, Fangio, man, during those, uh, there, there were some interesting things that they were doing, you know, during those, those Harbaugh years there defensively. And obviously some of those things were, they were able to do because of the personnel that they had, uh on on that defense but yeah i mean i remember that was like some of the first that i uh remember hearing about match coverages i mean there was a lot of people that thought uh that those teams were just playing like a lot of just two man which is you know a very conservative uh really something you you now only see on third and long or like end of half situations right where you've got your two deep safeties and everybody manned up underneath but they were they were playing those two high looks and they had um you know a, a a bunch of different things that they could do off of it and they were comfortable saying like hey our front is loaded and we're gonna let them do their thing against the run and we're gonna let all these other guys worry a little bit more about the pass yeah definitely i think fangio doesn't get his uh enough due nowadays and uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens with his his defense and his defensive style. But overall, I think there are going to be lots of teams that may play more too high looks, and it's because the the offenses in the NFL are dictating it. And whether or not the Niners go that way is still to be determined. But I think hopefully we think that they just remain versatile enough to be able to do lots of things well. And I think if they remain, this is now what year four five in the system. Uh, they they hopefully should be able to do that with the pieces they've got. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can follow me on the Twitters at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, you can not really follow me anywhere, uh, but you can find us on the Patreon. Um, that's Patreon. the setup for you and the Patreon, David, at this I point. Know. Where can they follow you on the Patreon? That's, that's the setup. I mean, kind of. Ish. Adjacent. <laughs> um, yeah, patreon.com slash better rivals. Um, you know, we, we are going to have a video going up here very soon. In what? It's done. Is it I've done? Added the, oh, it's done. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and post it here uh, probably simultaneously with the podcast. There you go. So um, by the time you're did. listening to this, it's probably already on the Patreon going over, uh, you know, some of the QB run game stuff that we had from last week's episode. Um, we'll have, you know, another one uh, going over some of the different too high things. And, and so, yeah, as we get into the season, I mean, that's going to be the spot to kind of get some video examples, some extra content that goes a little bit more in depth than, than what we're able to do in this audio format on the podcast. And so um, absolutely is, is going to be a, a great spot for you to find more content from us. Again, patreon.com slash better rivals. Bye, Spear. We have football. 49ers preseason football in uh, a few days. Yeah. days. So we'll be talking about that game next week. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for tuning in this week. And as always, go Niners. <laughs> <laughs>